0: to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Stoops. Corey Perry. Oh, able to shake away from Solani. It's giving away to Solani around it. The-
1: And we made it. We, anybody not live, may, that means nothing to you. But anybody who saw us uh, struggle the last half an hour to try and kick this thing off, you, you all feel our pain. I know what we mean. But uh, we made it, guys. We're here. We're back on the weekly show. The Ducks won both their games this week and are on a six-game winning streak. And I apologize ahead of time for anybody who has to watch this video after the fact and have Pat stare at them for an hour and a half because Pat doesn't have a webcam, so we've just inserted his face into the show to to make you make you have to sit through that. I guess I don't I don't even know at this point. It's great. It's great. It's pretty great.
2: It's pretty great. Everything's going. Fine Everything's now. going. Fine. If you want to, I, I think that uh, I think uh, that uh, I think that's the best picture the you can put of me there. Like that's probably going to be my LinkedIn profile, profile from now on.
0: I'm so glad that we can have everybody live for two yeah. production well, meetings. Well, apparently I back. was <laughs> echoing for the beginning
1: part, so this won't even make it under the cut. So welcome to the show, everybody.
2: <laughs> oh, that's so good. So
1: good. No, we won't. I don't
2: hear any echo at all. You this know is how, I was I, was I'm this not even going to get into this because this
1: will, this will echo, act like another production echo. meeting, but I remember how I was in, before we went live and I said, oh, remember when it wasn't echoing before and now I have to do this so it doesn't echo? It went back to doing that. So, <laughs> perfect.
2: We had Eddie Inception, yeah, no, and everyone didn't like it. Okay. Anyway, we Inception. are now,
1: hopefully, uh, error-free on the show, and uh, we're back with a weekly update. The Ducks are 8-4-3. They've won six in a row, won their last two games this week, which I guess there's one more game tomorrow against Vancouver, so we'll see how that goes, but we'll talk about that one next week. But how do you guys feel? How do you guys feel about the the Ducks this year being fun, winning games? Sorry, I'm I'm trying to figure out how this is the first
0: three-game win streak under five games. It's fun now, and I nobody says six. anything.
2: <laughs> it's, I thought Steven was going to pop off there. I, I, it's probably my favorite thing that could have possibly happened. I don't expect this team to make the playoffs. Not at all. I don't have that expectation, so I'm just enjoying the red. It's been great. It's fun. Uh, it's nice to see that uh, we were all right about Samson, and uh, we were all wrong about Troy Terry mostly. So
0: I like that. Um, uh, We all? That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. You don't oh, come on.
2: You wanna say that you were on this Troy Terry hype train for years and that you expected him to, to be so great and now he's he's shooting at like forty percent. That's true. And you that's think, true. That's, like, think that's there's really sustainable. That's
1: great.
0: There, there's there's literally no middle literal ground between you saying he's garbage and won't be in the league for long and me going and or and him being <laughs> apparently a, a heart candidate. There's is literally there ever, no middle ground. Is there's there ever been the, a middle ground with our arguments? There's not. <laughs> First of all. We don't argue. We have mild disagreements. Lovers so when he,
2: when he starts shooting 13% again and not putting up uh, a ridiculous points pace, it's still going to be fun. He's still better than what I thought he was going to
1: be. Is anybody so, complaining about shooting 33%? Yeah.
0: No, because he's a cheater.
1: He plays in Canada, so He's cheating. There are some guys that have high shooting percentages. What is uh, like the I highest think? shooting percentage for a guy who scored... I wonder who scored over 20 goals in a season and what he finished with a, a shooting percentage. Like, okay. I don't think you can find that.
2: I think it was Alex Tangay. I think Alex Tangay consistently shot over a 17
0: or 18%. Wait a minute. I'm looking this up right now. Sure I need, Alex Tange. If Alex Tangay is like a career 55% shooter, I'm going <laughs> to well, die like, I was... What is he oh worth? my God, dude! Yeah. His career is eighteen-six.
2: Yeah, he's got uh, how many twenty-plus goal seasons it.
1: did he have? Decent amount. Uh, you he had a few, second? right? Uh... Sprinkled between Calgary and maybe Colorado. I don't know.
0: Yeah, sorry, I, my computer hates me right now. Uh... Well, but
1: but about Troy Terry, in the, in the kind of the same sense there, I had mentioned this on. I think it was the first. First episode for Ducks Morning Brew is that he could potentially be a guy who falls around 17, 18, 19% in shooting percentage just because of the way he gets those chances. Like, he's not a volume shooter. He's only only has 33 shots on the season. But it's not like... Yeah, you know, the the goals that he scored, he's in the right area, or he makes a nice move, or he puts himself in the the best position to score possible, and he just converts on those chances. I don't think it's out of the question for him to be a guy who sh- who has an abnormally high shooting percentage. Obviously, not thirty three percent. That's gonna fall down at some point, but I, I can see him possibly being near twenty percent. Like I, I think it's it's possible for the just for the style of play that he has.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Like, I I think there's a chance he could be in that 14-15 range, but I don't... I think one of the things that we're seeing, right, is that, like, he's increased his volume of shots. And, like, he's scoring more goals, obviously, on that. But, like like you said, like, he's also getting really good opportunities. And so the question will be, as his finishing just, you know, goes down to something normal, like, is that going to affect his ability to get shots on goal is that going to affect his kind of going in into those areas to be successful like I I don't think it will he seems playing a pretty steady and sustainable level like sustainable style of play right now like I don't think there's anything about what he's doing on a nightly basis other than literally just the points that's unsustainable so I, I could see him settling into like 13 or 14 I don't think he'll get much higher than that, just because I don't know that the opportunities are going to be there. Like as this team improves, I don't know. That or as the wheels come
2: on, is he going to get those same chance Tangay has two seasons shot over three seasons, he shot over twenty percent. Four seasons, five. I'm counting him shot over twenty percent, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a pretty special play. it Doesn't happen very often. Uh, I like I said, I'm just happy with this production now. I, I don't think it's sustainable for the long term, but I think he falls somewhere in the middle. I just, I, you know, that, it is what it is. I think it's great.
1: We we might as well yeah, talk no, about I, it now because like we we're going to get into Troy Terry and his 13 game point streak later. But if we're already talking about him now, we might as well get into it. And like, how how real is this from Troy Terry then, in him being a potential 60 to 70 point player, a guy who shoots near 20. percent And obviously, he's not going to he'll be on a point streak for the rest of the year. But, you know, to be in that company of a top 20, 25 score in the NHL, do we, like, I know it's early, but do we think that's possible? Well,
0: I think it depends on who he plays with. Right. Because like what him and gets have right now is pretty special. Like, I think gets, has been pretty rejuvenated. Like, I think even, you know, Steven's mentioned it, that like the 36 year old is playing, like he's 26. Like he just looks like a better player than we've seen in four or five years. And, you know I, I i feel like all of us have largely been pretty um complimentary of him even as the team has kind of slid down a little bit but you know if if he ends up playing with you know Zagris maybe then yeah maybe then this kind of scoring is sustainable because he'll be playing with someone that's going to do the kind of things that he does as far as drawing attention looking to make plays um and just kind of being exciting and aggressive in the offensive zone if he slots down and maybe he plays with a Lundestrom. then i don't know that he's a 70 point player um but i don't think i i would say it wouldn't surprise being between 50 and 70 points on a regular basis um and i don't think that's terrible because his defense is at a high enough level at this point that if he can hit 60 points in a season like that's huge so. I don't think he really is that guy. I, I think he's more of a
2: 40-50 point guy. This is my personal opinion, and it, it, it kind of goes along with what you're saying. I think a lot of the opportunities being given to him uh, by space created, obviously with Getzloff, not to, say, not to say Terry doesn't put in work, as you mentioned, his, his, defense is at, his defensive part of his game is really, really good, um, so obviously uh, there's more than just one facet to him, but... I really feel like it's it's going to be a situation where when Getsy is no longer able to give those opportunities or they hit a slump in there, is Terry really going to be able to carry the, his load offensively and continue this kind of pace? Maybe not even this pace, but 75%
0: of this pace? I don't I don't know. It remains to be seen, but I just don't see it happen. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be who he plays with, right? Because, like, I'm trying... <laughs> One of the things that, like, I've been trying not to do is mention, like lambert or Wright or bedard you know Michikov and stuff like that but like if this team is in a position to get one of those guys in the next two years and now you're looking at having basically able to split zegris and terry um and still put terry with someone who has that kind of very high you know, potential and upside, then I think he can be this guy, right? I just think it's going to be about what the rest of the roster, like, I don't think he can do this on a line by himself with Isaac Lundström, but I think he can be this guy, like somewhere between being a guy who can do this on his own and being a guy that can only do this with star players is where he's at to me. Like he's kind of right in that middle. Like He's not a true, like, passenger on the lines, but he's also not, like, I I don't think yet he's a true line driver, and so it's going to be about, like, who he's able to play with, and, you know, I mean, look, he took a huge jump this year. It's not out of the question. He takes another one next year, and now maybe he is that guy, but I I would be inclined not to count on it. I think who he is at this point is already enough to be thankful for.
1: Yeah, I think everything about his play this year is for real, except I think the volume of goals that he's scored. Um, you know, We already talked about the shooting percentage. So there's no way that sustains at 33%. And you know, I, I just can't see him being a consistent 30 to 40 goal scorer. I mean, he could prove me wrong. And Troy Terry's done nothing but proved us wrong over the last couple of years, especially to begin this year. But I, I think his playmaking is not going to change. You know the, the driving force of his play and and you know how good his underlying numbers have been over the last couple of years has been due to his playmaking, and then for some reason this year the goals have just come. And again, a lot of that is him getting in those right areas, uh, or, or kind of contributing in a way that he finds himself, you know, as the go-to option on that line. Right? He's playing with Getzloff right now and Henrique. Neither of them are really shooters, and he's kind of become the go-to option on that line. And like you said, Steven, then now it depends. He's not going to play with Getzlaff for the foreseeable future. Maybe this is the last year of Getzlaff's career, right? We don't know if he's going to retire. If he goes up with Zegras, then potentially he becomes a shooting option on that line. But when you've got guys like Pastuav and Perot coming up in the system, he's not always going to be that guy. So we could see a shift where he still puts up a lot of points, but it's more... Because of his playmaking. We see some more assists than goals. And he could be, you know, just because he has a good finishing ability and gets in those areas, he could still be a 20-goal scorer. But it's so early to tell right now. Like, I, And it was a loaded question to put in front of you guys to say, can he be a 60- to 70-point guy when this is his breakout year? You know, we can, we can look at that two or three seasons down the road and determine from there whether he can kind of be this player. Because it's all about consistency. And this is the first real sample size of consistency from Troy Terry that we've had.
0: I mean, yeah, like the thing I was going to say, right, is like when you're looking at like guys who are going to put up 60, 70 points, they need to do one of two things, right? They need to either put up 30 goals or they need to put up about 40 assists. And like, if you asked me, I would be inclined to say that I could see him being a guy who can put up 35 to 40 assists a season. The question will be, you know, how does that, add up to the rest of it, how much of it is on the power play and stuff like that. Like, I think there's definitely a version of him that can be a 60, 65 point guy. I I don't know that he can be that 70, 75, 80 guy. And I know, you know, five points doesn't seem like a huge gap. And as we're seeing right now, like you catch a you catch a hot streak one way or the other. And that's the kind of thing that puts you over, right? Like everybody remembers Perry catching hot, hitting 50 goals and winning the heart. Like, So, you know, the idea that he could hit that high once or twice in his career, I don't think is out of the question. But if we're looking for what in his production is sustainable, I would be more inclined to expect him to be a 35 to 40 assist guy more than a 30 goal guy.
1: Yeah, I I could see that. And, you know, either way, the, the fact is this year is early on, he is leading the Ducks, two wins. He is their main offensive option, led the Ducks again over these last two games this week at three goals and two assists for five points, and as we mentioned still on that 13-game point streak, which doesn't show any signs of slowing down because the Ducks' best line since the start of the season and definitely over the last 10 games or so has been Henry Getzlaff and Terry. You know, it's not really even close when you look at the numbers and how impactful these guys have been, and Getzlaff in his own right has started to produce offensively and had a bit of a resurgence in his career four assists was second on the ducks in points over the last two games. And he's got one goal and 10 assists in his last eight games. And he is, I think one, one point off being a point per game player. So, I mean, never would have thought it would have been Troy Terry who would have revived gets career, but they have found some chemistry and we've talked about endlessly over the last few seasons and how valuable it will be for the Ducks to find chemistry with some of these young players, and we saw a bit of it last year with Comtois, Zgris, and Terry, and that got split up this year, and now it's Getzlaff and Terry, and Henrik's no passenger on that line either. He's contributing in his own way and still putting in yeah, points. Yeah, he is. And no, he's a passenger. He, he is in the sense, when you look at the, what uh, what Terry and Getzlaff are doing on their own, but he has been valuable piece to that line, and you know, there's no question that they're going to be the driving force for the Ducks this year offensively, and it's an encouraging sign because I think they're still going to do well. Like they'll tail off, like we said, Terry will tail off a little bit eventually. But we're all expecting Zegers to get going and Combs to get going at some point. Raquel and Silverberg will come back in the lineup, and, and then you've got some, you know, some supplementary pieces there that are going to add to the secondary scoring on this team. And all of a sudden, you're like, okay, like it's starting to look pretty good. The pieces are falling in place.
2: Yeah, don't you aren't you guys a little worried at all about uh, what that what this kind of has? shown for Zegers. Are you guys concerned at all about his production? No, a lot of focus lot. on Terry. Z hasn't had a lot of pressure. Um, I know we're going to talk about him playing with Delorier, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, but I think one person that we haven't talked about at all during this, at least not much, is John Gibson. I mean, he's he's been really damn good. And it was fun to see when he wasn't really damn good, we still scored seven goals, which was uh, pretty awesome, right? Like Gibby kind of wins the game for us on Tuesday in the 3-2 win in overtime. Um, and then uh, the Ducks kind of battle their way through Seattle and come up with seven goals out of nowhere, which is kind of insane. I mean, I can't remember the last time this team had seven goals in a in, in a
1: game in a season. Yeah. Well, we so, talked about that too, right? I think, is that if the Ducks can't, like Gibson can't do this forever, and the last couple seasons showed that there's going to be games where the Ducks are going to have to give him some help, and we have. It's been a while since we've seen that, so it's nice to see that in the game against Seattle. Okay, yeah, Gibson wasn't his best; he still played pretty pretty good, but the Ducks bailed him out and they scored seven goals, right, like that.
2: Didn't you see that coming, though? Like, everyone started saying like, a 960 save percentage after Tuesday, and all yeah. of a sudden you're like, yeah, okay, that's awesome. And then we go to the next game against Seattle, and we're like, oh, there's a dud. <laughs> it's like it's every
1: year, right? He starts off and is on a tear to start the season, it seems like. And then the Ducks fall back to earth, and they cool down, and, uh, and, and then you know the, the wheels fall off for John Gibson. Like, you know I don't know if the confidence goes out the window, but you know what I mean. Like we we've seen it over the last two or three seasons with with Gibson, but this year it's, there's a bit of a different feel. There's a lot more support offensively from this team. And you know, jokingly put yeah. out the graphic, uh, I think it was today or yesterday about where the Ducks are in goals per game. They're fifth in the league in goals per game. And and will you know all she on on my um my take at the beginning of the year, I was like, there's no way the Ducks are going to be able to jump from dead near dead last in scoring to into the top ten or even top half of the league. And I know it's early, but you know, we're still it's still fourteen games in their fifth in the league in scoring, so it's not something we really expected for them.
0: Yeah, but I mean like I don't know. Like they're 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 kind of a middle thing, right? Because like, yeah, like we didn't think that they were gonna be able to jump this high up the thing, but also, what we've seen are two things that, to an extent, you were hoping for, but you can't count on. And one of that is a jump from a young player, which is Troy Terry. And the other is the power play working. Power play is really good right now. Power plays go cold. So, you know, it's just by nature. Like, I think, like, a great power play is, like, 30%, which is, you know, I'm, I'm like, just three out of ten. Uh, you know, the way statistics work, like, you're going to have... 10 for 10 and you're going to have 0 for 10 and then you're going to have all the stuff in the middle i think what you're seeing is that right now this team is playing with a a level of confidence that they can be in these games and i think that they're feeding each other right gibby is looking in front of him at a team that is playing i mean giordano said it the other in in the quote right like before, i think after the seattle game where he all he talked about was just like they're just they play with so much more pace than they did in the last couple years like they just play faster they play more aggressively and that gives i think gibson the level of hope or optimism that he can like tangibly see in front of him that's like all right like you know it's not like years past necessarily where like i can pitch a shutout and it won't matter because you know we could put six guys in the ice at a time they're still not going to score um And then you go the other way and you've got a forward group who knows that Gibby is back there and Gibby's found his groove again. You know, I've been banging this drum the whole time. I just think he gets worn out to do that. But if he can have a bad game and they can still win because they put up seven goals, that's huge. And so now what you've got is you've got these two halves essentially feeding into each other and providing an opportunity for the other one to kind of have an off game. And, you know, I think when we get to January, it'll be really interesting to see where this team is at and how that dynamic shifts. But for now, yeah, man, run that shit into the ground. Let's go like seven <laughs> four every game. Like I just let's go for it. I don't care.
1: No, we picked it. We picked a good game to do the watch along for because you know, not too many games lately for the Ducks have been as high scoring as that one. But the, the one thing I did want to touch on, because you mentioned like the speed of this team and how quickly they play and how quickly they can get back up the ice and beat you, and I want to talk about at least one play from that, uh, that game against Vancouver, the 3-2 win in overtime, uh, that got highlighted by pretty much everybody, was Jamie Drysdale in overtime to get all the way, or he makes a rush up the ice, gets a chance, uh, throws a backhander on net, and then the puck squirts loose to Vancouver. They get a two-on-one. He skates the entire length of the ice, gets back, Stick checks JT Miller and plays the puck up to Getzlaff, which leads to obviously the the Troy Terry overtime winner. It Drysdale had a tough start to the season. I think he's come on as of late, and I mean it's to be expected from a kid as young as he is, especially the the amount of minutes he plays on a nightly basis. But that was that was some play by Jamie Drysdale, and uh, it, it a player. It feels like right now is the only player who could make that play from the blue line right now is Jamie Drysdale, which is pretty crazy when you're talking about a 19 year old. Playing twenty plus minutes a night,
2: yeah. He was I mean, up and down the ice on both ends. That was that was a hell of a play. that You're right. That I kind of got lost and I didn't even realize it while watching, and then going back and seeing those replays, I was like, oh, I don't know where his legs, like how he got those, because I, he was all the way up, all the way back, all the way up again. Uh, thank God, right? Like, what a hell of a player, and that that kind of highlights his abilities.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, to me, I feel like you know, it's the equivalent of watching uh Zegris kind of do all those weird shootout attempts or passes that he was making in the AHL last year, right? Is what you're seeing is the thing that we know he's good at and how he's leveraging that. Like I I feel like, you know, I've said it a few times and it might just be I don't want to repeat myself, but like I just think for me, when you have a young player like Driesdale, what you're looking for is the goal what you're looking for is for them to leverage their strengths and like that's a perfect example of what he's good at he you know he he uses his skating there but he also uses his intelligence and he's able to get close enough and use his stick to break up the play he knows to go in the other direction that it's important to get that shot on so you know he puts up a little bit of a flub back hand up high but it's also the kind of play that generates rebounds which is why he had to bust ass the other direction because it was three on three so you know it's incredibly encouraging for me i think to see these flashes of him being really fucking good at the thing that we know he's supposed to be good at and as the rest of it develops you know, I, I think he still gets caught out of position here and there, obviously, he's much more of an offensive player than a defensive player, but his stick work is solid, his skating's incredible, and and he gets the game, like, he's a smart kid, so, you know, over the next, I don't know, 60, 70 games, you're gonna see that kind of progress being made towards him maybe being a, a true number one defenseman, so, you know, that would be great, but his ability to impact the game at both ends of the ice, just based on his ability to move yeah, at this point, in is remarkable. Game too.
1: And you know, obviously the, the OT one was a product of the play we just talked about. But even the the first assist that he had was a nice breakout pass from his own zone, which is what you want to see from him, right? Is his skating ability on display and him being able to make those home run passes from his own end and up to the you know to his teammates up front so you know these are the type of plays that you want to see from him everything else is going to come as he gets more mature as he gets more experience in the nhl but to have these flashes every now and then and see progress like a tough start to the season and then as the ducks have gotten better he's slowly become you know a, a key contributor to this team like three assists in the two games this week he was third on the ducks and scoring only behind gets and terry and you know eventually he's going to be that go-to offensive weapon from the blue line for the ducks and it's going to take him some time to get there, but we're seeing some slow progress from him so far. And again, we're talking about a guy we didn't even, you know, we expected maybe this would be his debut season, not last year, or maybe even a few more seasons out. Like I didn't expect him to be, Mm -hmm. you know, in the NHL at this point, let alone playing it, you know, as much as he plays and playing on a top pair with Hampus Linton. Right. So we, you know, have had to kind of curb our expectations a bit in the sense that like when he was drafted and even the year after he was drafted, nobody thought this is where he'd be. So it's already amazing the fact that he looks so comfortable and doesn't really look out of place. And, yeah, there's some mistakes here and there. But you know, the fact that he's even here and playing well enough to not be out of the lineup, like, there's no question right now. You know, with other guys, come Comtois, Steele, you know, a few of the other younger guys, you're like, okay, maybe they shouldn't be playing. Maybe you know, healthy scratch makes sense, as warranted. At no point have I looked at Jamie Drysdale and be like, yeah, he probably shouldn't be playing. Like at, at no point have I felt that way with him and that's just based on his play and how comfortable he's looked, you know, at, at such a young age to be a, a key contributor for this team.
0: Yeah. I mean, looking at time on ice Fowler uh, among forwards, like just, or among skaters, ignoring the goalies. Fowler is first at 23 seconds, 23 minutes. Lindholm is second at 22 minutes. Treesdale's third at 21. Attenkirk at just under 20. Like, you know, that, that, that group is doing a lot of work and to see Dreesdale already averaging over 20 minutes a game is, is impressive. And like, I know there was a lot of like hand-wringing in the off season and and earlier in this season about some of his underlying numbers not being great and him kind of getting caved in. And like, I I don't want to dismiss that out of hand, but I also think that kind of misses the point of he's played less than 40 games at the NHL level. Like, and the fact that, you know, to most people watching the game it doesn't look a net negative, uh, to me, that's huge. Like, yeah, like, I think, you know, some of the underlying numbers and stuff is concerning in so much as, like, you would always want it to be better. But, like, again, like, he, he hasn't reached 50 games in the NHL, and he's already, you know, having an impact on a nightly basis. Like, that that matters to me. Like, that's worth more than yeah. just a And as Brent says earlier, like,
1: last year was awful for the Ducks, too. So it's tough for you not to have a not-so-great year when the Ducks were as bad as they were. And now that they're good, you're seeing you know some increased production from some of these players, some steps forward, and, and just the ability to do more on a better team. And that's what we've seen from Drysdale. I think obviously there's, there's players, uh, like we mentioned, come to one steel who haven't taken that step forward, but it, it's about progress. And I think we've seen that obviously from Terry, from Drysdale, from Zegers as well.
2: How, how, how hilarious is this, though, that we all talk mad shit we about did. this is the same roster as last year <laughs> and how horrible that roster was last year. So the hell's going I, it, on? It's, it's very...
1: <laughs> it's so weird. The, yeah. The and, and to, to some better, extent. But some guys have gotten worse, know, right? Who got worse? Well, Comtois has not started as... Did, so, okay. It, here is my question. Did he get worse or is
0: he not, not producing I don't think he has been as impactful this season, but, like, I do think there is something to him playing roughly the same game and just not having the same results, which happens. So, you know, like, if he bounces back and he puts up, I don't know, 15 goals and, you know, 10 or 15 assists in the last 50 games of the season, like is everybody going into the off season less concerned about him or are there still issues because of how he started off? And I don't, I don't mean that disingenuously. I I think they're
1: one in the same in the sense that he got worse and he's not playing well because him not playing well means it's been a worse start to the season for him. I don't think like as a player, he's gotten worse and regressed. He just hasn't, you know, one hasn't even come out the same as he was last year and has not taken a step forward compared to a lot of other guys. So it's, it's, kind of one and the same at that point. Yeah, he sure. has every opportunity and I think he will at some point to get out of this slump and, and get back to it. Every player, even the best players, have slumps. And I you know, it's it's not out of the question that he could come back and, and not maybe not have, you know, a Troy Terry thirteen game point streak, but just to get back to the same player he was last year and being a key contributor for the Ducks. And and as Brett kinda of mentions in the chat here, like Sam, Sam Steele's still young enough to have a chance to do that as well. You know, you don't want to give up on these guys just yet. You know, there's a lot of players that have taken a step forward this year, and it's the reason the Ducks have done as well as they have. You look at Shattenkirk and Fowler are tied for the league-league with Roman Yossi in power play points. Troy Terry, an obvious one, Henrique, you know, Lundestrom, with I think he's at, what, 10 or 11 points now. Guys that you didn't expect to be contributing this much offensively have. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ten points, the, it, three and seven. It's okay that a few guys haven't got there because not everybody's going to take a step forward. That's why the Ducks are so much better. Is All these guys took the steps we've been talking about for the last couple of seasons. The veterans have gotten back to what is, supposed over their career, normal production for them. Henrik is normally a 40, 50-point guy. He's on that pace. Shattenkirk is normally a lot better than he was in his first two seasons with Anaheim. He's gotten back on that pace. Same with Fowler. You know, same with Getzlaff to some extent as well. And then the kids have taken steps forward. But nobody expected this. I- again, Like we you know there was always a, a a realm where the ducks could be better this year even with the same roster but to to jump from near dead last in the league in offense to top 5 for the power play to all of a sudden break out and and do what it's done it, it was near impossible to predict that so we we were I, i'll say we were warranted for for predicting that or being disappointed that the ducks came in with the same roster and expecting it to be the same as last year
2: Just the only thing I'll say on Maxine Comtois, it just looks like he's not creating the same amount of of chances that he was last. He's just not creating as much. And so uh, whatever that reason is, who were his linemates when he has played? I'm I'm curious who who he was slotted with. I I can't imagine he was right. He's all over
0: the place. Maybe not with the
2: most successful players he's being being tagged with, right? But I don't know. I I think it'd be nice to see him kind of get back into this on the power play. You know, he, he's, a, he's a net front guy a lot of the time. I think that'd be nice to see him mm-hmm. uh, work his way into that. But it, when I watch him this season, he's just not creating that same amount of space and and for uh, You know what I don't for get himself.
1: is we talk about Getzlaff and Terry having the chemistry together and Henrik being good, but still kind of a, you know, a third party passenger on that line. He's contributing, but he's not, you know, there's a duo, a clear duo. We saw that last year with Zegers, Terry, and Comtois. Zegers and Comtois were a clear duo. They had chemistry together. Terry was really good on that line, but he was clearly the third guy. I don't understand why we haven't seen Zegers back with Comtois, and and you have Zegers and have Zegers, Comtois, and Milano. Like I think that would be a great line. I think Milano's work ethic will go good with with the two of them. Obviously, Comtois or Zegers is creative ability and playmaking ability would be great for a guy like Comtois who, what we saw last year, made his bread and butter in getting in front of the net and getting in key areas for Zegers to hit him with a pass. I think we need to see that for both of them to get going, but I mean, somehow Dilo is still with Zegers.
0: So, okay. So here's the thing to that end, right? I think the one thing to mention is that didn't who started on the left wing um, with Zegris and Terry? What? A... Or it was Zegris Raquel. Henrique. And yeah. Henrique. Okay. So, okay. So you see that. So you throw an older guy on there a little bit more of a do-it-all type and whatever happens. Then you see Delo get put on there because he's getting run, D'Lo out there. And again, to that extent, D'Lo plays a energetic game. He plays an effort game. He's just going to not stop moving. He's going to be all over the place. He's going to block shots. He's going to make hits. Like, all that kind of stuff that, like, while maybe not perfectly complementary to Zegres's play style offensively, it's it definitely makes sense to me that... I don't want Zegers getting run every night, so I'd rather put him out there. And, you know, if something goes down, then you've got him kind of there to help, you know. But, like, Comtois has shown the, I don't know, this last week and a half, I guess, he's shown a bit more of a willingness to kind of be that more physical player after the whistle and, you know, stuff like that. Like, he's making big hits and stuff like that. So, But they clearly put Dilo on the line with Z to protect him. Yeah, that's, right. no, Exactly. That, that's, that's exactly I, what they do. It, yeah, it's it, look. I will say this: it seems disingenuous to me for everybody out there to be like, "I don't get why we're doing this." You know exactly why we're doing this. Zegers weighs a hundred pounds, soaking wet in overalls. Like and he's taken a, a few headshots. He's and, yeah. And the he's first said your put him through season. the boards. Yeah. Like, I, I you know again, like the fact that this team is being is this successful right now, and Zeggers hasn't gone off yet, and He's playing with D'Lo. Like, to me, that is very encouraging, and I'm not entirely sure that I'm in a rush to break that up. Lines are doing well enough that I'm kind of okay with Zeggers just kind of continuing to find his feet, because it's not like he's not generating chances. No, he's just not He's just not game. See, getting but production. that's my yeah. problem. So
1: I, I understand why they put him with DeLore. Don't get me wrong. I get it. It's pure protection right after he got run by Paquette and slew foot by Subban. I I get it. Like, I understand it. But he is not generating chances with Nick Delorie now. Like, the numbers are clear. Like, their possession numbers are down 39.66% 30, with Delorette, 5261 without. Expected goals are down to 44% from almost 57% when Zegers is without Delorette. Their scoring chances are down to 34% when they play together, with, from 56% when he's without DeLore And the high danger chances for are almost triple. Or Less, like 25% high-danger chances for percentage with Deloria and 64% without. So he's clearly not getting as many chances and not generating as much offense with Nick Delorier, which makes sense because it's Nick DeLaurier. So are you protecting him then at the sacrifice of his offense? Yes. I don't yes. think you should yes. at this fine. point. I, I, don't, I, I don't get it. I, I think Maxim Comtois is more than capable to protect him. I don't think... I, I just don't think he...
2: Even on Tuesday, when he when he's going to have to fight uh, at some Wilson. point,
1: you again you're handling with K gloves. I get it. You, you know he's been run a couple games. If you want to play D'Lo with him for a couple games and send a message, fine. But it's been going on for a while now, and you're sacrificing your arguably your most talented player uh, offensively to protect him. And I, I no, you like, good point. You got t- you got to let him just go at some point. Like he's a star player he's going to get run. It happens for every team. At some point you have to say, "Okay, it's going to happen. We but we can't we can't do this at the detriment of his offensive ability because that's going to hurt us, that's going to hurt him, it's going to hurt the team." I I just I I don't get it at this point because every star is going to go through this. Like Patrick Kane went through this. Guys with smaller guys with just an immense amount of skill have gone through this, and they've had to go through it. And sure, at times, as young players, they've been put with guys for protection, but I I just don't see why it makes sense when you're sacrificing his offense. If he was still producing exactly the same and putting up the same numbers or close to it and there's a slight drop-off, I can understand, but the drop-off in all major categories for him generating offense and, and putting up points for the Ducks has dropped off. I just, I, I, you can clearly see it. It's clear as day. So at that point, you got to say, okay, now we can't do this anymore. Maybe every now and then, like if he's getting run three or four games in a row and you want to send out a message for one game to whatever team you're facing next and say, okay, DeLore going to play with Zgris. We're going to send a message for this game. you know, Don't touch this kid. Fine. Every now and then. But you, you got to let him go at some point and, and experience it because he's going to be dealing with this for the rest of his career. You can't play him with Nick Deloria or guys like Nick, Nick Deloria for the rest of his career. He's gonna have to go through it. He's gonna have to deal with it.
0: Watch, Watch me. Well, then at that <laughs> point he's gonna become the, the forty Ridge. the forty point
1: player that Pat expects him to be because he's not gonna yeah. be putting up points with Nick Deloria. Oh,
0: he's just he's always gonna be a forty fifty point guy. Come on. I'm
1: Silence equals yes. Line. You I'm guys agree with
2: This is Perfect. This is great.
0: Sorry, I'm looking at Dauber line line right <laughs> now. So,
2: where do you guys want to uh, to look ahead here? As far as our Bob Murray takes go, we we kind of touched on it on our Patreon. Um, this is the big topic we haven't touched on forty minutes in. Least we, started, we touched on it yet. Yeah. Not hiding from it, but we had to have you know some details to what's going on. Um, I think my take on it kind of just goes the same. If you were on our Patreon show, uh, and you support, and you were on that live on on Thursday, it stays the same. Asshole boss. Um, kind of made people's lives hell and ever since the blackhawk situation happened the league was told we better not find or the league told the teams put everyone on notice we better not find out about anything happening that should be reported so instantly this gets reported the ducks conduct their own investigation then it in hire, then they go ooh, this is not good so they get a law firm to conduct the rest and they're like yeah you should probably get rid of this guy so he tenders his resignation but i mean the stuff that comes out like calling and texting players and staff after games and and freaking out i mean I'm not trying to make it sound like it's not bad and it's not a horrible work environment, but, uh, but yeah, I I imagine that he's not the only GM that does this in the NHL and it was about time the big angry Bob probably left anyway, just, it sucks. He went out on these terms.
0: Yeah. I, I think the thing for me is, you know, like just from a, from a hockey perspective, right? Like Bob Murray, before this all surfaced, was a ring of honor level executive for anaheim right like he might have been the first executive that you would have done in an anaheim ring of honor right because you know you do the ring of honor because you want to separate from like the actual guys who deserve their jerseys retired and just guys who mean a lot to the franchise in a way that is not quite like jersey retire level like Cogliano would have been a perfect guy right like he's the guy that goes in a ring of honor he's not a guy whose jersey you retire to me Bob Murray executive level was that guy for Anaheim well now what we found like, ostensibly for the last you know 13 years like he's been making everybody's lives miserable and in a way that is, uh, he
2: threw a chair in the press box where they lost game seven in 2009 and right. injured somebody right. in that press box. Like, yes. Yeah. At moments where we probably should
0: have seen that he was like this. No, for sure. I, that's what I 100 percent agree. Right. And so, like, now what you have to do is, like, separate all the different things. And like, yeah, it was time for him to probably move on. Yes. It sucks that this is what it took yes, it sucks that it took this long for this to become a thing. But like, I think Getsy kind of said it the other day, like this is still kind of the NHL is still kind of going through a culture change, even on a very tame level, right? Because this has been kind of part of the conversation and, and understandably so, which is the generational differences um, as far as what is and isn't workplace abuse, and so, you know, there's a there are probably a handful of people who feel that they were abused by Bob Murray, who Bob Murray was like, I wasn't, I was just tough, and that is just creates a weird thing. But you've also got what very clearly seems to be an issue where people were just genuinely afraid of him in a way that's just unacceptable. Like you can't be afraid of the executive in that way. And I think the other thing that we've seen here is the, the reality of having one man have, (laughs) sorry, uh, him being in charge and being that important. Like he's the guy, like he's been the guy for 13 years. Like there wasn't anybody who really could have been in a position to address this with him other than owners and other than Shulman. So over the next six months, I imagine we're going to hear some things from those we We're probably going to hear
2: some dirty stuff that comes out of this where you're like, wow, man, you said that, or you did that. Like,
0: yeah, but see, that's going to be a tough one. Like the thing for me is it's like, that's all expected. And I'm not looking forward to it, but it's not going to really change how I feel because what he did was unacceptable. The way he treated people was unacceptable. The details don't necessarily make that more or less true, right? What I am very curious about is how do Schulman and the Samuelis respond to this as far as making changes in the way that they engage with hockey operations? Because I, I said it just last year. Like, I think Anaheim fans – Needed to be, I'll just say it the way I said it, Anaheim fans need to appreciate the degree of hands-off that this ownership provides because we can look around any league and see meddling owners who ruin their team by insisting they're smarter than the guys they have in place. To their credit, the Samuelis have never been that thing. The problem is is now that we're seeing is they might have been entirely too hands-off and entirely too detached. And so it creates a an accountability gap, and so I am very.
2: Wouldn't you say though that that kind of is is coming out of out of, uh, you don't want to fix what's not what's not, and things have kind of been broken the past few years, and it kind of it it pretty much took a, a just horrible string of events that we found out about with with the Blackhawks they that they covered up in order for something as. Honestly, it's not minor, but it's nowhere near the level as what happened uh, with Aldrich in, in Chicago, where now this is being reported. I think that this comes to light where people felt like they had a way to say something about the environment they're in, and that's why. But I think, I think it, it, the ownership didn't know that Bob was a hard-ass. There's no way they didn't know.
0: Right, and that's right? my question. right? Where is the gap? Because, there, again, like we've said, there's a difference between just being a hard-ass and being abusive and if they didn't know he was being abusive i am sympathetic to them not having that information but it's their
1: responsibility see my my issue with that is
2: it's just a leadership too below
1: bob as to where they get exactly supported. who who who's if if you're a player or a you know a staff member who doesn't have a lot of leeway or say or power or whatever it is is how are you going to go and approach the owners with that conversation about a guy who has almost as much power as anybody in the organization. Like you're going to walk up to to Henry Similelli when you see him in the hallway and be like, hey, like, listen, this isn't okay. Like you don't have that ability necessarily to do that or, you know, the confidence to to go out and do that. Because if this guy is, if Bob Murray is like they're saying is, is threatening job security, you know, there's only one place you can go and it's not the owners. We don't know. Maybe made that not easily accessible to go and have that conversation with them. It's not easy or I would not imagine it's easy to go and have the conversation as with the owners as a as staff, you know, one of the cogs in the machine about a guy who has this much power and this much sway in the organization, because it's your word against his, and this guy has a lot more power than you do to be like, yeah, I didn't do that, right? And and it makes it a tough situation yeah. at that point, which is which is why I think this situation with the Blackhawks where. It's now, and you know, the NHL hotline is what it is, and we won't get too much into that, but it's now hopefully opened up a way for people to speak out and for these issues to get resolved. And this is the first case of that, and we'll have to see how that develops and and how that continues to go on. But all we know from this is this is a situation that should have been checked a long time ago. It finally has happened and the right mm-hmm. decision has been made, and Bob Murray no longer is a part of the Anaheim Ducks organization because of the things that he's done. And like you said, Pat, I'm sure not every instance is a, you know as bad as it's put out to be. I'm sure there are situations where you can classify it as him just being you know, old-school hockey guy, hard-ass, whatever you want to call it. But clearly there was enough instances in there that he was going over the top, being abusive, and you know, in no instance is threatening job security in any way acceptable. So that's another notch in there. And eventually we'll probably see these stories come out. And like you said, it's just going to continue to get worse.
2: Well, it was pretty telling when you heard through guys like Greg Washinsky on ESPN saying that his sources were like, oh, <laughs>
1: Well, even in playfully an like, article yeah, surprising
2: it came out but no surprise thing,
1: you know? we've we've yeah. saw like the gm it, he's always been the gm been review that. article like a uh, two years ago in the athletic where they just talked about who's the hardest gm to deal with and it was like a playful article and they're like yeah it's bob murray like that guy is just nobody wants to deal with he that sucks. guy yeah. like it's it, it's it all adds together to the point where like, okay, yeah. yeah, this makes sense. Like, nobody was surprised when it came out that, that yeah. it was basically, yeah, no, he's just an asshole. Like, he's just rude to everybody, and he's verbally abusive, and he takes things over the top, and he mm-hmm. goes way too far with it. Nobody sat back and be like, oh, not Bob Murray. No way. It's this guy. It, everyone is like, yeah, yeah. So that makes sense.
0: Yeah. It, 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 I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm clear, because I 100% agree with everything you said, Eddie, as far as everybody under Murray was not in a position where they would have necessarily felt comfortable to go forward. And that's why my thing is it's the owner's responsibility to create that situation, whether that is, you know, trying to go in and check in and just talk to people and see what's going on, whether it's instituting their own anonymous tip line through HR, like there is a responsibility as the owner of the team to make sure that your employees are in a safe work environment and that's the part of this to me that is i i I will say unfortunate and frustrating because i i really do want to know more about how this all played out how the samuelis got to this point but you know at the end of the day like all that matters is is like now he's gone hopefully whoever they bring in to replace him Takes and hopefully, part of the hiring process is that. Like, look, you're not going to be an asshole, right? Like, like you're not just going to like, you know, get drunk and start haranguing interns at like. No, but we know that
2: that guy is taking over as Jeff Solomon. There, there's no way. I,
1: I, I don't know though. Oh, I, I. I, hey, Yeah, I'm not. He he's the front runner, right? Like Jeff Solomon is the I mean, leading I'm candidate.
2: Really? Can you really see like Dave Nonus like really going to put? Oh, him I, back, I don't
0: think like, Dave Notis is no in way. in the running
2: no. at all. He's not going to
0: get that position. I mean, I don't think Matt yeah, gonna I, get it. if it's an internal hiring, it is yeah. Solomon. But I think there are more than a handful of people outside of the organization that will be legitimate. It's members. indicative
1: that they're waiting this long. They're going to draw this process out and wait till the summer because they're waiting to see who's available at that time when they go through the interview process. Mm-hmm. There's no interviews being made. And right they're probably
2: now. also going to see how Solomon handles yeah. this. He
1: has full reign. How's mm-hmm. he handle the
2: how does he handle the, the trade deadline? What's he do with his yeah. vets? How does he yep. handle it? I kids? think I said this the other day. Like That's this very is, very important things that are gonna be happening here in the next season This is six an months.
1: audition period for Jeff Solomon. Absolutely. And they're gonna yeah. see what he does, and it's not indicative of the ducks play at all. It's what he does and how he handles a trade deadline in key situations, maybe the draft, if they get that far, free agency, contract extensions, everything like that. They're gonna see how he handles and how he does. And there's gonna be obviously a lot more you can see behind the scenes that we won't see that will determine that. And that will go into the interview process. And he'll be obviously he'll have an interview and they'll talk to him and I think he'll still be the front runner. But there'll be other guys that they interview as well. And there'll be a handful of names in the mix and they're gonna wait until the off season to see who's available and take this process very slow, which I think they should. I don't think they should just hand Jeff Solomon the job without Exhausting all their options mm-hmm. because this is an important decision for the Ducks. They haven't had to make this decision in a very long time. It's been Bob Murray for, you know, the last decade plus. So this is a decision that they shouldn't handle lightly and they should take their time with, and they should interview more than just one candidate and not just hire from within because it's easier to just hire from within. So I, I think Jeff Solomon is potentially the right guy for the job. I think he has enough experience to be that guy I think his mindset and the way he approaches the game is a modern style, which I think could fit the you know the players in the in the approach that the ducks are taking here, so he checks a lot of boxes, but there's also a lot of other guys who do that as well, and you never know who you're passing up on unless you have those conversations and meet those people and see how they fit your organization so i'm I'm glad for me at least that they're approaching it this way because I think it is the best way for them to approach it because this is a major decision this is this is the biggest decision the Ducks have right now for the future of their franchise is determining who the next year general manager is. Not contracts, not trades, not the draft, not anything else. This, is, Not even is Dallas Higgins going to be the coach next year. This is the most important decision the Ducks have had in the last 10 to 15 years, and they need to take their time with it. Yeah, see, every- I
2: feel like it's one of those positions where they go, hey, uh, so-and-so just got fired. We're going to put in a uh, an internal job opening but make it public. Don't worry, the job's yours. That's just what it feels like to me. I feel like yeah, that's going to be the case. Like, we're going to yeah. pretend like we're going to be interviewing everybody, but we brought you in for a reason. There's a reason why he's in a rim and not Martin Madden and not Dave Nones. They're still assistant general managers, and they were here prior. Uh, that's why That's why it points to that to me. I would be surprised if they go outside the org. I would. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the players, too, with the staff, right? We just got we just got done talking about a, a guy who has an alcohol problem, who is a GM and an asshole here for a, over a decade. No longer here. You're going to want someone to bring in uh, that's that's everyone's familiar with who they like. So unless they don't like these guys internally, I I would be hard pressed to bring someone in from the outside or from the outside.
0: Yeah, I I, I will say this. If it's an internal hire, I don't think it's anybody but him. If you want to say that at this point in time, if for no other reason than he's already there, he has a track record as a, a, an executive, and he's going to have the opportunity to just be the be the guy for until this is over, I think if you made Solomon the odds-on favorite to walk away with this job, I think that's correct. But there's talk about Mark Bergevin not being happy in Montreal. There's Jeff Gordon who doesn't have a job apparently. Kevin Weeks wants to be a GM, George Parros wants to be a GM. Like Mm. you've got Michael Fuda and Eric Tolsky over in Carolina. Like there are always executives you've got, you know, I think one of the Rutherford guys is, has a job, you know, Ray Shiro. Like there's just always going to be people who, who are going to have an opportunity to surprise. Um, And so, uh, you know, I, I think I would take Solomon over the field, but I don't think that the gap is that big. But real quick, does anybody have anything they want to say about like the uh,
1: the the situation
0: leading to Bob Murray resigning? Does anybody have anything else they want to add?
1: No, I I think it's it's or, we, or no okay. it's it's all out there. I, I mean, you know, we'll continue to get more details on it, but it is what it is. Like yeah. uh, at the end of the day, he it's the right decision was made. He's no longer a part of the organization. He's hopefully getting the help that he needs. You know, uh, for a personal level, because, you know, as much as he's been an asshole, clearly to a lot of people, at the end of the day, we should all hope that he gets the help he needs and that he becomes a better mm-hmm. person from it. So, you know, there isn't too much left to say on it. And I think the best thing to do is now approach this from, okay, what's next for the organization? What, what are the next steps here for them to continue on and continue to build, hopefully, a competitive team?
2: Okay. Yeah, I don't see a reason in discussing Bobby.
1: Okay, so
0: perfect. Here's my question. I was thinking about this on Thursday, but I saved it to tonight because – or today because I think it just makes more sense for this show than what we were doing Thursday. What do you guys think – I want both of you – think the first thing Jeff Solomon should be trying to do right now is? Trade his vets.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you should be analyzing the roster and det- and essentially along the same lines as what Pat there Pat said there. Uh, analyzing who's on this roster, what he has, what the value of these players are, talking to other GMs, seeing what's out there, and then eventually making a decision on some of these players that he has to make a decision on sooner rather than later. Guys we've talked about before, Raquel, Manson, Lindholm. He needs to start that process now and start having those conversations for himself because you know a lot of these conversations I'm sure he was privy to under Bob Murray, but he needs to now start having these conversations himself and finding out what these players are worth, what other GMs think, what's out there, what's available. Uh, because he doesn't have a ton of time before he's gonna have to make a decision on some of these guys. So I think that should be the first thing he does here is just evaluating his roster, talking to other GMs and and figuring out what the you know next course of action is.
0: Yeah, I think for me it's Lindholm. Like just full stop, nothing else. Because like to me, I don't see a situation in which Raquel and Manson are on this team next year unless they come back in free agency. I hmm. think they're almost guaranteed to get traded at this point. I think the question now is, what is Lindholm? Where does he fit into the organization? And what does his next contract look like? Like, because to me, that is the biggest question mark, right? Like, because, you know, we talked about it a Eddie on the, on the Prospects episode, like, there are attacking defensemen in this pipeline right now. What there aren't are a lot of very stable defensive types in the system, you know? I mean, one of them was Hunter Drew, and he's a forward now. So, you know what I mean? Like, I just think, and if they don't think that they can bring him back, then they need to move him out and see what they can get and all that kind of stuff. But I think Lindholm is singularly above everything else at this point because the way the style of game he plays is unique on the roster and his ability to be impactful on this team over the next five years is unique to the other guys as well yep
1: yeah. I, I, yeah, I I agree with that too I think Lindholm should get a, a bigger focus than raquel and Manson I think for all three of them mm-hmm. you have to figure out what what your approach is to them fairly quickly here are you gonna keep them are you gonna move them uh, and if it's the latter, what are what are their values out there? What are the options you have available? Which teams are interested? What are they willing to give up? Because those are conversations you're going to have to continue to have over the next couple months until it materializes into a trade. I don't think you make any move now, no matter what, but you have to start thinking about that and what your approach is going to be with these players. And, and in my opinion, and, and obviously you know, Jeff Solomon's a lot smarter man. He's in the position than I am. But you got to make a decision early here on what your approach is going to be with these guys. Are you planning on keeping them around long term or are you planning on moving them? And then from there, develop a plan on how you want to approach that. I don't think you can leave it in limbo and say, oh, I might move them, I might not, I might resign them, I might not. And especially with Lindholm, if you're going to have a conversation about you know, contract and term and, and value and how much it's going to come down to, that's a conversation you have to at least start thinking about now. And mm-hmm. then approaching it later. I don't think you approach the player into the off season, but you need to make a decision if you're going to have him around. And if you are, what the likely term and cap it's going to be, and how he's going to fit into your roster, and who needs to go out to make that fit. And you know that's a decision, especially for Lindholm, if you're thinking of keeping around. That needs to be made relatively soon because he's getting eight by eight. Yeah, man. and it, and if there. he is right, that that impacts. Any decisions you make for the rest of the season at the deadline in free agency, you got to make that, de- that determination now if you're going to keep him around or not. And that maybe goes with talking with the player's agent, seeing where they're at. If if it is true and Lindholm wants to test free agency and that's the route they want to go, then you have to resign to the fact that maybe you have to trade him. And then you could have those contract discussions potentially want, you know, in free agency if he's gone and talked to other teams and allowed him that courtesy and then he wants to come back. You can do that then, but you need to find out early on here what the plan is and then start, you know, making your decisions and your plan based off that. For sure. Makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, no,
0: I I, I think you're 100% right. I think he's the most interesting one at this point, right? I mean, you know, I think him and Gibby at this point are the two most interesting players because to me, they're the two players who can be the most beneficial even with this next group. Mm -hmm or the most effective and impactful, even with this next group. Um, You know, but if they don't necessarily think that those two guys' timelines are quite where they're at, because, you know, maybe they're looking at this and they're going, yeah, we can't, we can't expect Gibby to be this great, this much, and get this kind of quality backup goaltending and have Troy Terry on a point streak and only, what that means is we're second in the Pacific, which is bad.
2: Such a bummer that uh, Gibby came into this organization probably about five early.
0: Uh, yeah, You know yeah, what? Like,
2: uh, five yeah. years too early. If, if, if he'd been like in his second or third season now, then this is this is like a like the prime time uh, for this team to kind of be going forward. It's going to be really, really uh, something to look at uh, how this team performs if he remains here in Anaheim, which I hope he does. But uh, he's got 100%. a great cap hit too. But you know he also wants to win, so that's going to be. There's a lot of question marks, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, Steve, with uh, Lynn Holman, Gibby. Um, the other guys are, we've all kind of talked about at nauseum about they need to leave. <laughs> we need to find yeah. a way to get rid of these contracts. So, and yeah. there's a lot more to yeah. it, right? Player uh, player personalities, leadership qualities, those all do matter. And when you're talking about a, about a group and developing a core, so we'll see what what happens here. But I, I still think it's. Uh, Guess we've all agreed it's this is um this is Solomon's uh, chance. See what happens here in the next six months and see what the ducks do. But
0: you know,
2: guess what they get there first.
0: Yeah, no, this is this is his tryout, man. This is this is his chance to prove that he's the guy who can do this and, and be the and next with... Brian Burke. Bring <laughs> fighting back to Anna. We'll see, we'll see. That's, what <laughs> That's true, because we haven't had enough of that
2: i'm noticing really quick uh we don't talk about a lot of patreon stuff and uh, we kind of have been lately we've had a number of people join discord recently that i think we should probably give a shout out to <laughs> i've seen probably like four or five new patreon yeah, people I gotta, in the last week or so
1: i gotta put together so a list off. of everybody but i know uh recently tony literally just joined during the show so shout out to tony if you're listening right now and you joined because we mentioned the watch along or, or anything like that so shout out to tony I know we had, um goes by GST in Discord, so welcome to uh, to the Patreon, and we had Ducks in Discord as well, who joined. I I can check Patreon and get your real names, but I figured I, you'd rather go by what you have classified yourself in as Discord, so welcome to everybody. If I'm missing anybody I will get to, I have to put together a list. We are missing, Patreon's weird, but if you log in, I want
2: you to log into your email and verify that you're the correct user, it's like... You can't just go check it like you can on Facebook. So, yeah, we'll make sure we give uh, shout-outs here uh, in the next day or so. Uh,
1: Last bit of news before we get into our predictions. I do want to say, because Isaac Lindstrom left uh, Thursday's game with an injury. He was skating today. He was skating at practice with Come to Silverberg. So that could be an interesting line we see for uh, the Vancouver game tomorrow. God, that would rock. How the fuck was that not? A player safety issue. With Lundstrom? I think it was just precautionary. How the that fuck he was, was that not a... the game last night. Oh, oh, you mean uh, the hearing, yeah. No, 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 no. What he's saying is how
0: is he not. How was Lozon not suspended the game for that? Yeah. It was blatantly yeah,
1: shot to the head. It's the NHL department. The yeah, so <laughs> what are you expecting here? Consistency? Come on. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, maybe. Like, yeah. what the hell? I right. it was Zegris, does he get two games? Like, I think if there's Zegers, <laughs> they shoot him. <laughs>
0: Like, I just think there's like, just someone on, like, on the head. such
1: to, a cheap just, shot.
0: Just someone just going, I'm sorry, what? Yep. Take him out? Okay, great. And then and then that's it. That's it. I that's just done. wish
2: Delos or Manson's uppercut would have landed a little more flush. Yeah, it, was nice. it wasn't as flush hey, as I wanted.
0: Ooh, you know what? Honestly, honestly, if we get another fight like that, Patty, me and you have to do an entire Patreon episode <laughs> just breaking down the fight. <laughs> frame
2: it was beautiful. It was. Oh it was. God, I just wish was... it would have dropped him. Right. him. That would have been great.
0: That, yeah, I haven't seen Manson and whip someone's ass like that since Geo. That was let's uh, let's make
1: our predictions here for the next three games. Ducks play tomorrow uh, against Vancouver. All three are home games. They play Tuesday against Washington and Thursday against Carolina. Steven, what are your predictions for the Ducks this week? Over. Ooh, are you being realistic?
0: Because I know
1: it's, wow. it's par your course I, I, to say over. But...
2: I'm supposed to go to the game on Tuesday. I hope they win.
0: <laughs> I mean, because it's it's Vancouver, Washington. Car- I think they'll beat Vancouver. I think I don't think they're beating Washington. I don't know that they're going to beat Carolina. I'll what say they go one and two.
2: Uh, I don't think they're beating Carolina, but I think they have two wins. And I, I'm nervous I'm about
1: Tuesday. Ovi's on. OB, on a tear right now, so I'm, yeah. Dude, I, yeah, I swear to go with two, two
0: goals against the Ducks every time. Yep, uh, I'm going with uh, Fresh
1: Vlog in the chat here. I'm saying they're one, one, and one. I think they win against Vancouver, lose in shootout overtime against Washington, and lose to Carolina. Uh, unfortunately, to probably Freddie Anderson that night, but oh, uh, we'll see some good games at least. Does he get? Does he get no, booed? No, I don't no. think so. You're gonna boo him. I'm they can't boo him. Gonna boo I'm gonna boo him.
2: why would you boo him? Because he ruined Game
0: Seven for the Blackhawks uh, when I
1: was there, he ruined it. His play was terrible. Yeah, I'm sure he was the sole contributor to that game. We oh. be mad final for game something seven. he
0: did five years ago. I think that's appropriate. Pretty mad about uh, it still. Yeah, never I forget. Can tell. <laughs> All
1: right, well,
0: <laughs> I'm gonna wear. Blue. Uh, anything, anything else, guys? Oh, I'm capping. Not supposed to cap. Yeah, last thing I wanted to say real quick, uh, for everybody. That is tuning in now and hasn't wasn't there uh, on Thursday when we talked about it a little bit. I just want to say, uh, Eddie is doing a really really wonderful thing right now with the Ducks Morning Roll, twelve to fifteen minute videos that Eddie's putting together. Just kind of hitting some quick hits for what's kind of going on in Ducksland, and I just think they've been really great, and I think they're a really cool uh, addition to kind of what we're doing here and what we want to try to do. And just want to give Eddie some public love and tell everybody to check that out uh they're on youtube and uh you know we tweet the link out every morning once eddie's done doing <laughs> his job so
2: monday yep. monday through friday he gets us out there good job ed yeah i think that's that's a really good um little bit of information to get people in between the shows uh, i mentioned the only thing i want to mention too i know we just kind of get shout, a shout out to a couple people here but uh we're definitely going to do another watch along here soon um, mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. love to do one if we can I don't know. I don't know if I can make one this week, but next week would be awesome. Maybe through you, maybe you guys and Jay want to do one, but those are so much fun. And then we'll we'll have to get a pucks and brews here, and uh, maybe next weekend. Yeah. that'll be a fun one too. Time to talk about the league. Yeah, right. I mean, there's
1: yet. been a lot to talk about. We haven't haven't got to it yet, but yeah. If you if you are new to the show or want to check out the Patreon at any point here, we do have our flagship show, Pucks and Brews, on there, which is like Pat said, we normally talk about the NHL. Sometimes duck stuff. We combined it with a watch along on thursday to watch the seattle game which was a lot of fun so like pat uh, said we're going to try and do a few more of those just to kind of figure out where that's going to land whether that's going to actually be live on twitch and outside of patreon or part of patreon we have to determine kind of what's best and talk with our patreon members and find out what's best for them because crowdcast as we mentioned earlier on the show cut out two hours in and we had to relaunch it and get everybody back in there Minor, minor uh, miscon- inconvenience compared to what happened at the beginning of this show. But still, we're we're still figuring out where the best place is for that. But even if you subscribe to the Patreon, we will have uh, our regular Pucks and Brews, as well as a lot of other bonus shows. And you get to join the Discord, which is a lot of fun uh, throughout the season. Kind of talk.
2: Uh... Yeah, and you get random yeah. free tickets if you're local. Jimmy got
1: yeah. glass seats. Jimmy said that was <laughs> the, the best uh, thing he's ever gotten since joining the Patreon. The main reason he joined the Patreon. So.
2: He said it was worth every yeah. damn... It <laughs> yeah. was worth every penny.
1: <laughs> love it. up. uh, yeah. uh
2: well, Can we say one yep. thing real quick? We're, I know I'm holding everyone up. Uh, Connor McDavid's goal, Jesus Christ, against the Rangers. Yes. Maybe one of the best goals, goals season I've probably. ever seen.
0: Bring up David right now one of the I'm going get annoyed and we're going to spend 25 minutes on this.
2: My God, that was one of the best goals of all time. It was a
0: gorgeous goal. It was absolutely incredible. And the way you know it was incredible is people who don't give a fuck about hockey were talking about it. And... To me, the thing that is going to be very cool about ESPN having it is people just habitually pay attention to ESPN and goals like that provide an opportunity for people to see the parts of the game that draw you in, right? Like anybody who's been watching hockey for a long time can see the little things here or there or, you know, appreciate the totality of the game and things like that. But those highlights right there, that's the stuff that makes you... Want to buy a ticket to a game? That's Just the, the casual fan ticket. Well, yeah, yep. and yeah. we you saw know, was,
1: yeah, a, a lot of people outside of hockey comment on that goal. Um, you know, maybe more so on my side because there was a lot of uh, Canadian athletes. But Alfonso Davies, who's Canada's best men's soccer player was commenting on that goal uh, you had and a, a few damage. Canadian football players who commenting on so like again you're just you're growing the game outside of just hockey fans at that point when you have goals like that and, and plays like that that go viral so it's I mean, it's Conor McDavid. We're going to see that several times throughout the year. But uh, that is a...
2: The best was when he was he was swinging around and his post, post-game post presser. It's my job. Yeah, what I, do. I, I can't... You
1: can't always, <laughs> I don't know he can't you always know take on four can't guys, guys but... Four on one every
0: night, but uh, what are you going
1: to do? <laughs> that was my favorite part of that. Just so casual, but... That's it. what I get paid for.
0: Just a so bunch good. of boring Canadians.
1: Absolutely. Uh, there's so yeah, we part. will we will be back next weekend with uh, our regular weekly show. This one here, uh, Monday through Friday, as Stephen mentioned, Puck, uh, Ducks Morning Brew will be on our YouTube channel. Um, just again, I appreciate Thanks. everybody who's who's enjoyed those so far. I know we've we've heard a lot of people that say it's not always easy to consume an hour podcast, so they like the shorter episodes. So we're going to continue doing those as well. We're going to try and provide some shorter highlight. Videos for the podcast as well, for everybody that can't tune in. I mean, if you're listening at this point, you've already tuned in for the entire thing. So maybe this doesn't apply to you, but we're going to try and put out some shorter highlight versions of the podcast, uh, video versions on YouTube as well. Uh, And then we're attempting to revive the post-game show. Uh, as a a little bit of an added bonus uh, throughout the season, uh, just reviewing the game and talking to everybody, because I know a lot of you like those and being able to come as a post-game destination to talk to us. So that's in the works, and we're trying to put that together, so stay tuned. We'll have more information on that in the coming weeks and months. But uh, as for when you'll hear from all of us next, it will be next uh, either Saturday and Sunday, and uh, we'll see you all then.
2: Have a good one, guys. Thanks for tuning in.